0: I'm so blessed to see so many of you come out on a Wednesday night, um, especially for the fact that uh, it's not like a mid, like a, a weekend service where we have worship and stuff like that. For you guys to come out specifically to hear the word is such a blessing. You You can't understand what that means to a pastor to see this many people come out and not because we're going to do your favorite song or stuff like that, but just because you're you're hungry for the word. All right, so we're talking about Joseph, okay? And uh, there's some things I want you to to hold on to and to to keep uh, focused on as we go through tonight because I saw something um, that we're going to cover tonight. I saw something in the word that I've not seen before, and, and this is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. I guess maybe because of the name, I don't know. Um, but i I want you to to hold on to the the fact that joseph when when we hear his name and we think about his story, um, like you might have heard it in Sunday school when you were a kid, you think about that robe, the coat of many colors i mean even even like uh, Hollywood picked up on it, made a movie out of it, uh, all this other kind of stuff so you think of Joseph, you think of that that Beautiful coat that he had, that his dad made for him, either had made for him or made for him. Coat of many colors. It was the identifying mark of Joseph. Amen. Amen. Hold on to that, because again, I'll I'll show you when we get there. I'll show you. Uh, I was like, oh wow, I never saw that before, and and I want to bring that up because it, it, it involves a principle on regarding how the enemy attacks us and how the enemy tries to go after our dream. And really, it's not our dream, it's a dream that God placed inside of us. Okay, when you and I come up with our own ideas and our own dream, that doesn't, there's no threat to the enemy. But when you and I begin to step into the dream that God has for you, that's when the enemy starts targeting and starts going after it. Just like, you know, in Mark chapter three, um, and I gotta go through this quick, because I gotta finish this tonight. Uh, in mark chapter three we 're told that when the sower sows the word, that the birds of the air come immediately to steal what? The seed, the word, okay? And the enemy's always going to come after the word. And how does he do that? He will do that in let 's say, putting an obstacle between you and seeing the Word of God come to pass in your life. And if the, sometimes if the word of God doesn 't come to pass in your life. As quick as we want it to, some of us will give up and say, this stuff doesn't work anymore. When that happens, what you did was you surrendered that seed of the word to the birds of the air. The birds of the air represent demonic forces, the, the forces of darkness. You've got to be in it for the long run. You've got to be in it for the long haul. It can't be instant. It very rarely is instant because you learn nothing with instant. I remember many of you know that uh, my wife and I and many of the leadership here graduated from Rama Bible Training Center. Now it's Rama Bible College. And we had the privilege at that time that Kenneth Hagin Sr. was still here on earth. He was still uh, teaching in the Bible school. And um, he said something on a number of occasions. I don't know Pastor Rick and Jen, you probably heard him tell the same thing. So you went to school there around the same time we did. He said he noticed, now, some of you can read this in, in history. I, I don't know that many of us were around at that time to really know what happened. But he said back in the 1940s, from the, right after World War II, from about 1945, 1946, 47, until about 57, there was about a 10-year revival. And he said during that time, it was the easiest thing in the world to get people healed. He said it was like healing was in the air, like electricity. But he said he would go from place to place, from city to city, all across the country, and he said he would notice, he would notice that um, people that got their healings like this, many times lost them. The next time he would come back to that city, they would be back right on the prayer line again. He said the ones who would come up for prayer would sit in the teachings. Sometimes he would teach for two or three weeks at a time on the subject of healing, the ones that got into the word and got it for themselves, they held on to their healing. Why, they did not allow the seed of the word to be ripped out of their hearts. You listening? It's an extremely important principle, especially in the times that we're living in. I'm not gonna blend in the weekend message with this midweek message. But if you haven't been here on the weekends, please go online and listen to the teaching because we're talking about on the weekends, how are we to live now in these last days? Okay? Now, whether you agree or not that we're in the last days, that's between you and God, but I think it's pretty obvious. So how do we live there? And one of the most important components is, and Timothy talks about this, hold on to what you have. Hold on to the Word of God. Tonight, we're talking about dreams we're talking about a person who was called by God to accomplish a specific plan okay now you and i never know what the end result is going to be when we step into a dream we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what the I say this all the time and trust me before God i am 100% honest i had no inkling whatsoever that this ministry would ever get to the to the size that it is, or ever get to the place that it is, to be able to have this much impact over this I, it, it, I had no reference point. There was nothing. There was no way for, all I knew was I had to respond to what God was putting on my heart and tugging on my heart. Joseph obviously must have been the same way. He had a dream. God showed him some things. God showed him that at some point he was gonna be in a position of power. But those of you who know the story, how could he ever have possibly imagined that at some point when he's 30 years old or 33 years old, he would be the second in command in the strongest, most powerful empire that existed on earth up until that time. It's, it's like you can't wrap your head around this stuff. So, uh, let's jump into this. Uh, I'm not going to be able to k- finish the entire story of Joseph tonight. Um, we'll pick it up again in the future. But I think tonight I'm going to be able to give you enough to go on. Okay? And um, let's, jump, let's just jump in. So real quick, just to do a very quick review. We saw in the past couple of weeks that Joseph's family is messed up. Anybody, anybody can anybody relate to that? <laughs> just me you uh, the rest of you were like delusional okay <laughs> who can relate to coming from a messed up family Amen. as much as we don't want to admit it okay and so w- when you see the conduct see if you only go to genesis chapter 37 and you're not a student of the word of the, of the book of genesis before that you come away with like are these people crazy? How could they treat their brother like this? You know, I don't want to spend a lot of time because we spent a lot of time the past couple weeks. I mean, who sells their brother and then acts like they're doing a good thing? Oh, let's let's not kill him. Let's sell him because after all, he's our brother and he's our blood. Wow, how nice of you! I really want to come to Thanksgiving at your house. You know what I'm saying? It's messed up family. But but you, when you when you when you look back and you see Abraham's history and. And Isaac, what he went, and Jacob, and you see the patterns. How many of you have recognized patterns in your family? Yes. You know, and some of us don't help the situation because, like, we're told, "Oh, you're just like your grandfather," or "You're just like your grandma, or "You're just like your aunt," or "You're just like your uncle," and all this other kind of stuff. So, so we we don't do good when we enforce, we, when we reinforce those patterns. Now we're born again. Some of you weren't sure there for a minute. So, so now we're born again, right? Yes. We're children of God. Yes. Okay, we still now, we still have a natural bloodline that we're connected to. But spiritually speaking, God is my father. Yes. And God doesn't come from a messed up family. Yes. Are you listening? Yes. Okay, good. So we saw that all of this mess comes down and affects this fourth generation now we're in. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, now you get into the patriarchs, all the heads of the tribes of Israel. And then their kids, well, we don't even want to go there, okay? So, but this we know and we found out that God knows how to get us to our destiny, okay? Some of you are not sure yet. Romans chapter eight twenty eight. we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and we see that in Joseph's life, and we see that in Jacob's life, and we see, that we see that we see even David, the adulterer, the murderer. In the book of Acts, he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. Now, why am I making a big deal out of that? Because there's hope for us. If somebody like David could be a, God after, a man after God's own heart, then there's some hope for us. Yes. If somebody like Jacob messed up and all the other brothers and all this... They still loved God. They just couldn't get out of their own way. Does anybody know what that feels like? Yes. Well, you love God, but you just can't get out of your own way sometimes, okay? But God knows how to get you to your destiny. And he'll use those little messy parts. You listening? Maybe if I give you a little bit of an illustration. Um, I, I watch a lot of uh, food, food shows, food networks. I'm, you know, I used to be in the restaurant business. So I like to sit there and, and say, that's not right. That's not right. It gives me a challenge. So so I noticed now, now now watch this now. If you're going to make, let's pick something universal. Let's say you're going to make beef stew, right? So you're going to buy some meat, you're going to buy some meat, and hopefully you get something decent, okay? Now, there's a main step that if you don't do it, you're going to have soup, not stew. And that's you have to flour the meat. Everybody know that? Yeah. You have to flour the meat and then you have to brown the meat. And, but inevitably, inevitably, when you brown the meat, what happens to the meat in the pan? It sticks to the pan. So you're looking at it going, I'm messing this up here. The meat's all stuck to the pan. But what happens then? Because now you pull the meat out and you got, I got a mess on my hands. I got all this meat stuck to the, But then when you deglaze the pan... With either some cooking wine or some, what happened? They, they'll say that to me get all them little bits up. <laughs> <laughs> Brian doesn't know what to do because Brian doesn't cook. <laughs> so get all those little brown bits. Now you're thinking, I messed the, I messed the whole recipe up because this stuff looks like it's stuck to the pan. But that turns out to be the best part of it. God knows how to get your little messy parts. And get and deglaze your life that take all those things that look like you're messed up, you're stuck, uh, this isn't turning out right, but man, that's what flavors right. your life. And He'll use those. He'll use it. Some of us mourn our past and mourn the stuff that we went through, but God uses those things because you want to know why? There's, you're very unique. You, because now what you went through. Now you can sit down across the table from somebody who's going through, the, who didn't live a pure life, who didn't live a life of no challenges, no obstacles, all this other stuff. You know, if you didn't go, any, go through anything, how are you going to sit down with somebody that's going through something? Amen, Amen or what? Yes. We're more, oh, you know, if I didn't do this and if I didn't do that, well, God knew you were going to do that. Oh, but pastor, you don't know my background. No, I don't. And honestly, I've only got enough space up here. <laughs> but God does. God does. I mean, look, it was not fun, my wife and I, going through bankruptcy. And I'm talking about going through bankruptcy when it wasn't fashionable. Okay? Now today, people are going and bankruptcy. Bankruptcy, wipe everything out. I'm talking about in the 90s. Okay? And, and it, it, it was not comfortable, it was not nice thinking that you're being looked down by, it was not nice to feel like you, I gotta go look for change in an old pocketbook to go be able to buy milk for my kid's cereal. That was uncomfortable, but you know what? If we didn't go through that, how are we gonna sit down with somebody who's struggling right now financially? How would you sit down with somebody? So yeah, it was uncomfortable. Joseph's life was uncomfortable. But Joseph learned principles there was no school to go to for. So I look at it this way. You're either going to learn through life experience or you're going to have to go find some place to get educated. But there's some places the only way you're going to learn is through life experiences. And, And if you're not willing to do that, you're stuck. And God can't use somebody who's in park. You can't steer a car that's in park. So, don't be afraid. There's some of you that live your lives with a fear of failure because you made some mistakes in the past. Don't do that. Put it in gear. Let them steer you. Well, what if I bump the curb? Who'll show you how to turn the wheel? Who'll show you how to do things different the next time? The important thing is that you learn some lessons. Amen? Amen. That was good. I didn't see that coming. So, <laughs> all right. So, let's go with the new stuff, okay? What are you gonna do when life gives you lemons, lemons, okay? We all know that phrase. We know what it means that life is unfair and you make the best of it. What did I say? You might as well do it so I can laugh too. I wasn't ready yet, but let's go for it. (laughs) What are you going to do? When life gives you lemons, you're going to do what? Next one. When life gives you lemons, throw them back and ask for chocolate. (laughs) Next one. When life gives you lemons, ask if they're organic and non GMO, because that's how you roll. So, they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. Joseph has his first lemon. Amen. And then the brothers lie to their father. Imagine, like, what? I can't even fathom a mess, how messed up this family is. This Jacob, this poor old man, he's been enough true enough, enough in his own life before the kids even showed up, he had enough drama going on. Now he's very old, he's feeble in his old age. Not feeble of mind, but he's, you know, he's an old man. And you'd think they would have some compassion on this guy. Okay. They plot this thing. They're going to take the coat of many colors. Remember that. The thing that identified Joseph and they kill one of their rams or sheep or something. They dip it. They dip his coat that identified him in the blood of this animal. They come back from their, their, uh, you know, feeding the flocks. They come back home to the camp and they practically throw the coat at the old man and say, hey, check this out and see if it's your son or not. Really? And you don't expect this guy to have an heart attack or a stroke or something? Especially that you know this is the one who's so close to his heart. There's like no sense of compassion. There's no sense of tenderness. There's no sense of understanding. There's no pity for this old man. This is crazy, okay? Jacob is inconsolable, and the first words that come out of his mouth is, I will mourn for my son for the rest of my life. That's terrible. It's terrible. Thank God the story turns out the way it does. So verse 36 of Genesis 37 signals the next phase of Joseph's life. Now he's completely disconnected from his family. As far as his father knows, my son's dead, he's gone. As far as his brothers know, we'll never see him again. We'll never have to deal with this dreamer again, okay? And so what happens? Verse 36, meanwhile the Midianites, the ones who got Joseph from their brothers and bought him for 20 pieces of silver, okay? They sell him in Egypt to a man named Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So this is a big shot in the government. Genesis 39, I'm skipping here to just get through this. So we're hitting high points. Now, he, 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 let's, let's, let's back up. His brothers throw him in the pit. They sell him to the Ishmaelites, the Midianites. They sell him to an official of the Egyptian army he's disconnected from his family now and we don't really know how long of a time this took between the time that they bought him and they got to Egypt we're assuming that from one phrase to the next he said okay so it's there and boom we don't know that they're in a caravan we don't know how long this caravan has taken to get from where they were where the brothers were to now Egypt we don't know. could have taken weeks. It could have taken a month. They might have stopped at other places to trade. All right? So now he gets appointed by Potiphar. Potiphar sees there's something different about this guy. There's something about him. He's, he's talented. He knows how, how to administrate. He knows how to run things. Okay? And so what happens? In verse 30, uh, Genesis 39... Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. He's still a slave. He's still property. But he's been elevated in the household. And so Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. In other words, Potiphar realizes there's something about this guy. Now, even though they didn't believe in the God of Israel, they believed in gods. The God of Israel was something they knew existed and he recognized because of his character, because of his ability, because of what he could produce, it translated to Potiphar, The hand of God is on this guy. Okay? Are you listening? Okay. Can I take a little 30 seconds? People are watching you. Your employers are watching you. If you're in your own business, your customers are watching you. People are watching you to see what our character is going to be, to see what we can produce, to see, this is an even better one to see how we handle when life doesn't go the way we think it's supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. You listening? Yeah. That speaks louder than any gospel message that you can put, put together. Potiphar saw something on this guy. Now, something very drastic must have happened to Joseph in that pit experience. Potiphar saw it. You see, when you're in the pit, you've got nothing but time. I'll say it again, when you're in the pit, you've got nothing but time. And in the pit, the best thing that you can do is to start taking an inventory of yourself. You know what most people do in the pit? They start rehearsing whose fault it is that put them in the pit. And if it wasn't for this, and if it wasn't for that, and if I should've did this, and if I could've did that, and that person, and what they did to me, and how they treated me, and all this other kind of stuff. If you're in that season right now where you feel like you're stuck, the best thing you can do is take inventory of your life. Why? Because you want to come up on the other side of that pit changed. You listening? Okay, Joseph, Joseph is now in a different position. He comes out different. Joseph has got to stand on his own now. He doesn't have daddy to defend him anymore. He doesn't have daddy to show him favoritism amongst the brothers in the family. His eyes got off the dream and got off unto God as a matter of survival. You listening? Excuse me. Has. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm saying here? When you're in the pit, you stop looking at what you think is going to happen, and you start looking to God just for survival. 1994, I was in the pit. I was in the pit. Oh, I, I was still saved, going to church, serving in church and all kinds of stuff. But inside, I was dying. I was stuck. I was stuck, and I remember telling my wife, I, I don't, it was November of 94. And I I made an appointment to speak with somebody who I considered my spiritual mom, okay? And I said to this person, I am so miserable right now. I am so stuck right now. I'm so, I just, there's got to be more than what I'm experiencing here. I didn't realize that God had me in the pit for a purpose. I said to my wife and I said to this person, one of three things is going to happen within the next six months. I'm either going to backslide and go back into an ungodly lifestyle, or I'm going to commit suicide, or I'm going to Bible school. That's how stuck I was in that pit. I couldn't see my way out. I knew there had to be more. I knew. Had, I, I thank God now that I took the third choice, door number three. Yeah. You know? But it was that bad. It was that, listen to me. Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to be dramatic here. It was that bad. And, and when you're in the pit, you can't see anything around you. So the best thing you could do is look up. If you're in that pit experience right now where you're feeling like you're stuck, you're feeling like, especially there's a certain age that you come to where you start realizing... I don't have that many decades ahead of me. And if I don't do what I'm supposed to do now, it really puts pressure on you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So now, now, listen, if you don't start looking up, whatever time you have left, you will live in regret rather than expectation. You listening to me? You will live in regret. So if you're in that pit experience, open up to the Lord say Holy Spirit come please and just, just do an inventory here show me what's going on show, show me where I've missed it show me where I've not applied myself show me, where, show me what I'm supposed to be believing for show me okay because we're not supposed to live in the pit we, we go in there from time to time but we're not supposed to live there okay you got it and listen it's God's responsibility to make the dream come to pass not you It's our responsibility to keep our eyes on him. Sometimes God has to hide the dream for a short time so you can learn the lessons needed to equip you for your dream. You imagine what Joseph must have felt like in that pit? Imagine what he must have felt like as he's walking behind the caravan. What the heck happened? My dream said, everybody's supposed to be bowing down around me. Here I am bowing down to everybody else. What happened here? What happened? How did this turn around? It would be very easy for him to totally give up on God, but he didn't. Thank God he didn't. He realized, okay, maybe I did miss it. But you know what? The best thing for me to do right now is to keep my eyes on him. So that even if I did miss it, it's never too late for me to get turned around again to get hooked up to the real thing. Anybody listen to me tonight, please? Okay, I, I wish I had a, a few hours to go through this. I had this experience happen to me in 1995 and 96. Before we went out to, to Bible school, God gave me a dream. And in that dream, he told me the name of this church. Even showed me when we would start the church. It's fall of 97. I'm like, but it's 95, I don't want to do it now. No, fall of 97 got to go to Bible school. Woke up that morning, turned to my office and said, we're starting a church. She went, my husband's crazy again. (laughs) It was so real. I literally, I literally saw the services that we were going to have in the beginning of the church. I saw people that would be there. I told her. So, so it's like, yeah, we're going to Bible school. But my eyes weren't on the Bible school. My eyes were on the fall of 97. This is the spring of 95, okay? And I remember saying to God one night in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I don't have two years to come here. I gotta go back now and start. And this is like 3 o'clock in the morning while they're having tornadoes and the tornado sirens are going off. And if you've ever lived out there in Tornado Alley, across the bottom, it says, it's very, it's very comforting. Across the bottom of the screen, it tells you, if you live in certain, certain, am I right? If you live between this block and that block, take shelter now. <laughs> so it's like 2.30 in the morning, we're in a hotel, never been to Tulsa, Oklahoma, never even been to that part of the country before. And I'm watching a TV pro, Christian TV pro, there's a person doing a teaching on there. Marilyn Hickey, anybody know who Marilyn Hickey is? Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful teacher of the Word. Okay, she's still on TV. You can still watch her. Go on YouTube, hear her teachings. And she's now, I'm, I'm, I'm laying in bed going to God. I can't come here for two years. I gotta do this now. I gotta do this now. It was so alive. It was so real, okay? And she starts teaching on Moses and how God said to Moses, you go do what I tell you And when you're ready, your brother, Aaron, will come and meet you. And when you get there, I've got a whole, I'm paraphrasing. When you get there, when you get to where you're supposed to be, I will have all these people in place to help you. talked about a person named Bezalel, who was anointed by God to, to handcraft all of the fancy artwork for the tabernacle. He said, I got this guy ready. Your brother Aaron's going to be ready. Your sister Miriam, she's a troublemaker, but she'll be there too. (laughs) I heard that night in here, if you give me these two years, I will have everybody in place that you'll need to start this thing immediately in the fall of 97. We started this church on the very first day. We had a full music ministry. We had a full children's apartment on the first day. Now watch now. Let's backtrack now. I get out to Tulsa. September, well, we got there in August. Um, it was, Pam, it was on your anniversary, wasn't it? That we got to Tulsa. You celebrated your first year anniversary in Tulsa. We get there August 20th, right? No, it was your husband's birthday. It was your husband's birthday. It was the 13th. We celebrated Pastor Cap's birthday there. Okay? We're excited. I'm excited. Yeah, we're starting a church. We're starting a church. We're starting a church. We start school at the beginning of September. And all of a sudden, I felt like a blind man. I couldn't see the vision anymore. It scared me. To the point where, when a woman says, when they're pregnant, and they say, I can't feel the baby. And you know that panicky feeling, ladies? That's what I felt like. I couldn't feel the baby anymore. It was like the whole, and I'd sit up at night, like crying. To what did I do? I came out here. I I left my business with a manager. I pulled my kids out of school, took them away from their friends. What's going on here? It's not real anymore. Did I make this whole thing up in my head? Not a word from God. That lasted exactly nine months. Nine months, I had to go to school every day, had to go to church, and, and, and make believe the baby's still jumping. After nine months, all of a sudden, it was like, whoa. It's back. It's back. Now, why? Why? And I remember on a Sunday afternoon, sitting at the, at the table in the house that we were living in Tulsa, describing this to Pastor Cap, saying, the only way I could describe it is God took the reality of that dream and hid it. Because if he didn't, I wouldn't have paid attention to Bible school. I would have sat there all day long like a, like, 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 uh, a young lady in high school when they sit there and write their name out in marriage. Mrs. <laughs> I would have spent the whole first year imagining what it's like. You listening to me? Joseph had to die to the dream before God could resurrect the dream. If you're not willing to let the dream die, there's going to be no power. Why? Because there can't be a resurrection without a death. And some of us are so desperate that we want to keep the thing on life support. Are you getting any of this? So Joseph's willing to like, hey, I don't know where he's taking me, but I'm just gonna hold on. And sometimes God will put you in a position we got no choice but to hold on. So in the meantime, Joseph's willing to apply himself. God blesses him with protection and favor with his master. When your eyes, listen to me, listen to me, and this one's good because of the days that we're living in. When your eyes are on God, you prosper even in the midst of hell on earth. When your eyes are on God, you prosper even in the midst of hell on earth. Everything else can be going going crazy. How many of you remember 2008? How many of you remember the recession of 2008? When the, the bottom fell out from everything, right? Churches, churches all over the country started canceling all their guest ministers. Because they anticipated, oh, things are gonna be tough, things are gonna be tough, things are gonna be tough. We're like, hey, this ain't our recession. This is the world's recession. We don't belong to the world's economy. We belong to the kingdom's economy. You guys wanna have a recession? God bless you, go ahead. We're, going, we're, just, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, okay? Because we learned this. This is for somebody. You never decide what you're going to do for God based on wh- whether you can afford it or not. You do it based on whether he told you or not. Because if he told you, guess what? He'll provide what you need to accomplish it. So, so in 2009, the CFO that we had, we had hired as a consultant comes to me and goes, I don't know what is going on here. Most churches have lost major money. You had a 14% increase in 2008. Why? Why, listen to me. Because when you keep your eyes on... Man, this is for somebody very... That you're in it right now. When you keep your eyes on God, He will prosper you even when the rest of the world is falling apart. Because we're not of the world. So if we're not of the world, then my dream is not of the world. My dream is of the kingdom. You listening to me? Somebody needs to hear this stuff, even if I don't get to where I'm supposed to be tonight. Lift your eyes up. You gave up on your dream. God never told you to give up on the dream. Well, I feel like I'm in the pit. You might be in the pit, but Joseph still held on to in the pit. He kept his eyes on God. Keep your eyes on God, but you don't know what's going on in my life. No, I don't, but he does. Keep your eyes on God. You don't understand. Everything's falling apart. Oh, trust me. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to have your life going through your hands like sand at the beach. I know what that feels like. But I also know what it feels like to say, "Um, you called me to this. I'm not even going to try to sift it anymore. It's up to you what you want to do. Keep your eyes on God. He will never ever fail you are you listening to me some of you don't no. some of you don't have the right to give up on your dream because your dream is supposed to impact generations in the future and it's not up to you whether you are it's too tough it's too, too bad suck it up well you don't know how rough it is no 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 I don't know particularly your rough I know my rough okay you don't have the right to give up on that dream it wasn't yours to begin with. You have no right to put it down because you didn't pick it up. God put it on you. Is this touching anybody tonight? Some, some, I don't need to, I appreciate that, but just take it in, okay? And, and especially those of you that may be over 40 and you start, because over 40, the enemy comes with a special kind of tactic. Oh, it's too late now. Oh, you missed it now. Oh, you screwed up too much now. God can't use you now. I said to God, I got to Bible school at 39 years old. I said, why couldn't we do this 10 years ago? And he reminded me, Moses was 80 when he got started. 80. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for not making me do that. (laughs) never too late. For you to assume that it's too late means you don't really know the dream. God said through the prophet in the Old Testament, your latter days shall be greater. The glory of the latter days shall be greater than the, Lord, the glory of the former days. Some of us always assume that we're going we're to reach our peak at a young age. But sometimes what your dream requires is so much life experience so you don't screw it up. All right, I'm going to mind my own business now. <laughs> now, let me get to the heart of this. I only got 10 minutes left. Now, everything's going good, right? Joseph is now in control of the house, okay? He's the, he's the big shot of the house. Even though he's, he's still a slave, he's still property of somebody, but he's elevated to where this guy, who, who's not a dummy, because Potiphar didn't get to be the head of the palace guard by being stupid, Okay? He got to where he is because he was smart. He got to where he is because he knew how to handle his affairs. He's not a dummy. He, he's learned how to trust people. Okay, So what happens? He takes this slave and he elevates him. To, gives him control over the whole house. In fact, we're going to read it. Potiphar says, all I need to think about is what I'm going to eat. You handle everything else. Man, that's, that's a trusted individual. I've been privileged in my life to have people like that around me. So look, Genesis 39, verse six. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, hey, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He's like, I'm not even gonna be in the same room with you. Now, can we get real here tonight? He's 17, 18 years old. Do I have to go any further? (laughs) And it says he's handsome and well-built. Every day. Every day. And he's 18. And handsome. I'm looking for something here. Hold on. I guess I read this but didn't put it in my notes when Joseph becomes the head of Potiphar's house Potiphar gives him a robe but this one's made out of fine linen not coarse wool like he had when he was a kid you listening to me? are you listening to me? His father made him a robe, but his father doesn't have Egyptian cotton. His father has wool. Did you ever wear wool? Now, when he gets there, he's given another robe, but this one is of fine linen, and he must have looked a lot finer in this robe (laughs) than he looked in the wool one. But watch this now. Again, it's the robe that identifies him. He wears it like a uniform. because Potiphar's got a whole house full of servants. This is what's caused him to stand apart. He's got a fine linen robe. Now, let me paraphrase the rest of this. One day he goes in the house. The other servants are gone. She probably told the other servants, hey, go get me a pack of cigarettes someplace. Because she wants to be in the house alone with 18-year-old. Okay. All the ladies went handsome, (laughs) well-built. With fine linen. And so she now corners him and she says come to bed with me and he says no and now he knows I gotta get out of here he flees but she grabs the fine linen robe and what do we got there the enemy is always after your purpose your identity the dream that God has for you so now it gets turned on him because when Potiphar gets home, she does to him what the brothers did to the father. You know whose coat this is? You know whose fine linen robe this is? The guy you put in charge in the house tried to rape me. And here's the guy who realized I've trusted this kid with everything in my house. And now it seems like he's taken my wife. So now Joseph goes, it's the second lemon. Now he's going to prison for doing the right thing because he refused her. And once again, the robe is taken from him. Now let me get ahead of myself here a little bit because when we come back to this subject, When we come back to this this portion of Scripture again, we're going to find out that through a series of miraculous events, Joseph ends up in front of Pharaoh. And he's used by God supernaturally. Literally, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are operating in Joseph, even though it's Old Testament. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit still operate in the Old Testament. That's how prophets operated. That's how miracles happened. And he's able to interpret dreams for Pharaoh that no one else can. And through the interpretation of those dreams, a plan is made to save the entire Egyptian empire from famine. And what does Pharaoh do? He puts a royal robe on him. But this time, he doesn't only have a robe. He's got a ring. Pharaoh gives him his own signet ring. And he puts a gold chain around his neck the dream is coming to pass suffered like hell looked like it was never going to happen this is like 14 years later but it comes to pass and this time the robe is not taken from him you listening to me yes. let me wrap this up this, for tonight just with this okay You have an identity in Christ. The enemy knows that. God is not the one that's gonna dangle it in front of you, like, hey, wouldn't this be nice if you had this? And then, psych, take it away. Okay, he doesn't do that. That's not what a good father does. But you have an enemy that hates you, you have an enemy that does not want you wearing that robe of righteousness. He does not want you walking around with the signet ring of authority. He wants you to crawl on your belly on this earth as a beggar, to stay confused, to stay defeated. He does not want you walking in your purpose. And so he'll go after your dream. He'll go after your identity. He'll go after the purpose that God has placed you on this earth for such a time as this. You have the responsibility. He'll bring it to pass if you keep your eyes on him. But you're going to have to contend for it. You're going to have to stand and trust and believe God that when everything looks like it's going completely opposite, you're still going to stand. Even in, the, even in the darkest pit, you're still going to stand and say, I don't care how long it takes. If I live my last five minutes of my life in that purpose, I'll still stand before Jesus knowing that I did what I was supposed to do. You listening to me? don't you dare give up because there's so much right now in in the season of life that we're in there's so much coming to suffocate us there's so much coming to discourage us there's so much coming to get you to give up on your dream to give even if that dream is 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 being used by god to reach other people to be used by god to impact your generation just it might not be some great call maybe you're not going to be an international known minister Maybe God's just raised you up to be on your job, to be a bright light there, to be salt, to be light, to be a witness, to be evidence that Jesus is real. And even if you gotta say, well, every day, Pastor, I struggle every day, every day, keep fighting, keep fighting. I don't know if I'm gonna get there. Well, at the very least, you're gonna stop the enemy from accomplishing his dream. That's That's, that's an accomplishment right there. Don't give the devil the satisfaction to hear you say, I'm walking away from this. This isn't for me. I'm not made for this. This isn't God's plan. And and let me tell you he'll use all kinds of things. He'll bring strife into your life, he'll bring offense into your life, he'll bring discouragement into your life. He'll, bring, he'll attack your finances. He might attack your health. We're in a battle. Do we not understand that? Yes. We're in a battle. You're contending for the promised land of your life. In that promised land, there's gonna be giants. There's gonna be enemies. There's gonna be gigantic walls for you to overcome. It's not just, we don't float into God's kingdom, okay? You're gonna to have to contend. It's yours, but you gotta go take it. God said to Abraham, and God said again to Moses, every place you put your feet, I have given to you. But you notice, they had to go take it. They had to contend for it. They had to fight enemies. They had to stand and trust God. They had to watch him do miracles. They had to see him part the Red Sea. They had to see him supernaturally contend with their enemies. And every every time God gave his people a separate, different strategy to fight, Every one of them is supernatural. Every one of them is supernatural. God's wanting to work supernatural things in your life. But you got to stand. And you got to trust him. And I know life has been tough. And I know it doesn't go always the way you want it. And I know there's always going to be stuff going on. just, Just today, one of our video clips came out this morning. And man, it spoke to me. I found myself getting ministered by me. In this little two, three-minute clip where I talked about how I know it gets tiring when you feel like your life, you, you know, our, our life is like a garden, but in the garden, there's weeds as well as vegetables and fruit. And you can't say, well, all right, I went this morning, I picked all the weeds out, that's it, I'm done. No, no, because in two or three days, you're going to go back and what's, what are you going to find? Weeds. And so, so the enemy, listen to me, the enemy wants you to pay attention. Well, there's weeds in your garden. There's weeds. You know, Pastor Beth doesn't have weeds. Pastor Joy doesn't have weeds. Pastor Jerry, well. <laughs> <laughs> so the enemy will get you into guilt and condemnation because you still got some weeds in your life. So pluck them out. Yeah, but I'm going you know, to, you know, I'm good for a couple of days, and Okay, well then on the third day, go pluck the weeds out again. But in the meantime, the fruit is growing. In the meantime, there's evidence that there's life in your garden. Keep your eyes on the fruit. Pluck out the weeds when you have to. And there's going to be some days when you're going go to go and look inward and go, Oh my God, all I see is weeds. All right, then, then do some major weeding. <laughs> don't give up, because if you give up, the weeds are gonna overtake the fruit. Right. Right. There's no shame in pulling weeds that we're supposed to do that. Pluck them out. Why? Because you're gonna go through a season. Well, I'm plucking these weeds out right now, and you put the name on it. I don't know what it is. You name those weeds guess what? Another season comes and you go, well, that weed is gone. I'm not dealing with that species of weed anymore. But guess what? There's another weed coming up. Okay. Well, obviously the seeds were there and something triggered these seeds to produce. But at least now the Holy Ghost is showing you, okay, you got rid of those weeds. Now let's work on this one. But the enemy wants you to think, I'm just always plucking weeds. Every time I turn around, there's more weeds. And yeah, I see a little bit of fruit. But man, I I just wish it was all fruit and vegetables and there was no weeds. Honey, there's not a garden on the earth that doesn't have weeds. And there's not a life lived that doesn't have some things to be plucked out. And everything that is not planted of the Lord has got to be plucked, pulled up. You listening? He's working it out in you. He was working it out in in Joseph. He was working out things and working things in so that when Joseph stood before Pharaoh, he qualified for the robe. He qualified for the ring. He qualified for the gold necklace, the gold chain. Get your eyes off the weeds. Get your eyes on the fruit. Pluck the weeds but pay attention to the fruit. You listening? Yes. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Yes. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't let the devil rob them. I want you to go home tonight. Pray, I pray in the name of Jesus that before each one of us goes to bed tonight, before we fall asleep, that we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me where the weeds are. Show me what needs to happen in me. Show me what needs to be transformed. Show me what needs to be plucked out Show me what needs to be worked in so that I can fulfill the dream. And Lord, we may not even be aware of the dream, what it is right now. But Father, you already said that the plans that you have for us are for good and not for evil, plans to give us a hope and a future. Thank you that every single one of us has this very seeds of greatness on the inside of us seeds that potentially when they go full-blown can impact a nation a generation this world make us aware of that father i pray all these things in jesus name amen amen god bless you i'm so glad you were here tonight amen we'll see you next wednesday amen